This week, Kay Godfrey has another very special interview with someone you may have thought you knew. But now, instead of just learning about him in a textbook, you can listen to his incredible story directly from him. Meet the original multitasker, who was a writer, scientist, prolific inventor, statesman, diplomat, printer, publisher, and political philosopher, none other than one of our nation's greatest founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin. We're also excited to announce two new events coming up Saturday, September 18th in Lehigh, Utah, and Friday, October 1st in Midway, Utah. Tickets are now on sale at comefollowme2021.com. You can buy a ticket to attend in person with a beautiful luncheon, or you can attend virtually anywhere in the world by purchasing a virtual ticket. Welcome back. In our last podcast, we had the opportunity to interview President George Washington. We talked with him a little bit about some of the significant experiences of his life that eventually would lead to uh, a foundation for the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Continuing on that theme, I have the tremendous opportunity today to interview Dr. Benjamin Franklin. Dr. Franklin, thank you for joining us today. It does my heart well to be with you. Thank you. We appreciate that. Um, let's, uh, let's start at the beginning. Would you mind sharing just a little bit about uh, your youth, your parents perhaps, and some of the things that come to mind relative to uh, your adolescence? Well, let's talk about my father, okay. Josiah Franklin, England. He was having trouble with the way he worshipped. He thought man should be free to worship as he pleases. So he, like many other who came to this great nation, came over to worship. His first wife gave him seven children. The first, or excuse me, the last two actually passed away. The seventh one, his wife died during that birth. Now he married my mother, who then gave him ten more children. My goodness. Yes. I was the youngest son. Now my father was a candle and a soap maker. Really? And with that in mind, you may think, well, everybody needs candles, everybody needs soap. However, (laughs) the only people that would purchase are the wealthy. I see. Everyone else, everyone else, like my family and most of everyone else, had to make their own. So there wasn't a lot of money, but we did well. My father taught we loved one another. He gave us a foundation of the gospel. I remember our meals together. Oh, they were important when we had dinner. We spoke only of those things that are positive. We spoke about things, happenings within the family. Hmm. That was probably what set me and gave me the foundation for everything that I would do the rest of my life. Isn't it true that your parents wanted you to to become a minister? (laughs) Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, my. I, as a young boy, wanted to be a seaman. Oh, Oh. I did. I really wanted to be a seaman. However, one of my older half-brothers, and the relationships that I had with my half-brother and sister was more like a aunt and uncle. They were great. They were wonderful. But back to the minister. I wanted to be a seaman. My parents refused. In fact, they wanted to be a minister, wanted me to become a minister. So the first school I went to was a school to become a minister. Now, it took a few years to do that, 
But fortunately, my parents couldn't afford it. <laughs> I believe it was an answer, answer to a young boy's prayer. prayer. But we went to another school. So that stopped the ministry. I see. Okay. Well, I understand as a, as a young person, you are quite the athlete. Uh, in particular, with this year of the Olympics and swimming, uh, I understand uh, swimming was, uh, it was second nature to you. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You look at me now and you say, hey, you would sink. But there was a day. There was a day when I was very fit. In fact, close to my home, there was a pond. Mm. And my mates and I, from early spring to late fall, would swim practically every day. I became so good that as I traveled, People would ask me for lessons. I recall one time floating on the River Thames. And the people were asking me about swimming. So I dove in. And I swam three and a half miles in the Thames, showing them all kinds of tricks. Some under, some above. People were amazed. Wow. Now, swimming wasn't like it, was, it is today. People didn't do it as recreational. But I thought of opening a swim house and teaching people how to swim. In fact, one last thing, I was inducted into the Swimmers Hall of Fame. Honorary, but I was inducted. My goodness, <laughs> my goodness. Well, uh, Dr. Franklin, uh, we refer to you quite often as Dr. Dr. Franklin, and yet, to the best of my knowledge, I don't recall that you ever went to college or received a degree. Shh, don't tell people. I see. Oh no, I did not, as I told you, at the age of 10, my schooling stopped. Huh. I came back home. My father needed help with candles and soap. So what did I do? Books. Oh, I, I loved them. I would spend nights with a candle reading books. If I wanted to learn mathematics, I read books. If I wanted to learn science, I read books. Anything and everything that I got as far as knowledge, I taught myself. Later in life, as I sat with the most intelligent men and women in the world, I spoke to them as you and I were speaking. Hmm. And they all had degrees from university. Everything I knew, everything I received was from talking, listening, and reading. Imagine with me, if you would, if the young people today receiving education, whether it be home, school, if they would put some effort in with books, wow. It's endless. It certainly would be. So from that, I am to assume that's how the doctor portion came into yes, play. Yes, forgive me, I didn't even answer the question. Because of the knowledge, because of my inventions, because of the many things that I did, people began to call me doctor. I see. Please okay. forgive me. No, that's fine. And that kind of leads us into the, you're the epitome, in my opinion, of what would be termed a, a self-made man. Somebody who has really accomplished things because of you and not any outside influence. Tell us a little bit about how you feel that came to be. Boy, you flatter me. Back with my parents, we set the foundation. You see, I needed to take on a career. So my father and I would walk through the city of Boston trying to find different things that I would become an apprentice. Nothing. So finally, I had the opportunity to become an apprentice with my brother James. Mm. He had a print shop and a paper in Boston. Understanding an apprentice, even though my parents were close, 
I didn't hardly see them at all. I see. I was to be an apprentice until the age of 21. Hmm. I began. Now, I really, really loved to write. And my brother would never let me, never let me write anything. So what did I do? I invented a character named Silence Do-Good. Yes, I've heard She of was it. a middle-aged woman, yes. a widow. Yes. And I would write entries and opinions, and I would get to work early and slide them under the door. Hmm. No one ever knew it was me. I wrote 15 letters. Silence Do Good became so popular, our paper had never sold so much. She received marriage proposals. People wondered who she was. Finally, on a date, I told my brother, and he beat me up. <laughs> oh, my goodness. See, my brother was jealous of anyone that he thought was doing better than him, may I say? Yes. He was arrested for printing something that was not wrong, but the British thought it was, so he went to jail for a short time. I, as a young man of 16, going on 17, ran the paper. I see. I had ideas of my own, mind you. Once again, we sold more paper than he ever had. When he came home, what did he do? He beat me up. <laughs> so, we were done. I put my clothing <coughs> in my pocket, pockets, a loaf of bread under each arm, and I headed for Philadelphia. Now, understand this. As I walked into Philadelphia, I saw a beautiful lady named Deborah Reed. I ended up renting a room from her family. Deborah and I eventually were married. Very nice. Now, one thing I realized at a very young age, if you want something, set it as a goal, and then you do everything it takes to get there. You don't go this way, you don't go that. We had a print shop. We had a store. I began to do wonderful in print. In fact, I was asked by four or five different colonies to print their money. Huh. I didn't put my face on any of them, but... I printed their money. Isn't that interesting? There were several opportunities that happened to me because of that foundation I received, yeah. because of my lovely Debbie. Yeah. Debbie and I had three children, William, Francis, and Sarah. Francis died at the age of four. That was a very hard time for me and my sweet wife. Mm. But I believe that answers what I did to become self-made. Well, you've alluded a couple of times to the term invented, invented this and that. As far as I know, you're one of the most prolific inventors in history. <laughs> and yet, I'm not aware of any patent that you took out on anything that you invented. Tell us a little bit about this invention and property ownership kind of stuff. Understand this. At that period of time, nothing changed. We rode horses. Every Monday, the women would take the big pot, light the fire, and do the laundry. Mm. Nothing changed. One of the problems we had was lightning. People were having their homes struck by lightning, and in their minds, it was God above punishing them. I see. So, electricity was something I really fiddled with. So we invented the lightning rod. We put it on the homes. We put it on our ships. No more homes were attacked. Mm. I call it attacked. It was just hit by lightning. Got it. That was one of the things. Had I patented that, had I made money on that, the only people that could have used it was the wealthy. Mm. There were more of the others. 
there are more of my people. I see. I never patented any of my inventions because everybody needed to have a better life. Now, some of the things I invented that the rocking chair, the grabber. Today, the grabber has a handle here and you pick things up there. I invented that. Huh. People say, well, why would you invent that? Every time I wanted to read a book, it was on the top shelf. <laughs> I'd get a chair and drag it, and finally I thought, Ben, what are you doing? We invented the grabber. Grab the book, read it, put it back. Hmm. I got tired of taking my glasses off to see far and close. So we had the bifocals. Now, there were many other things. Not, not to flatter myself, I also was a participant in starting the first hospital in Philadelphia and in the colonies, the first fire department, the first police department, fire insurance, and one of the groups that I participated in became the University of Pennsylvania. Right. Well, let's talk just a little bit about as we bridge the war and start to interface with, with Great Britain. You strongly felt, if my memory serves me correct, that the colonies should stay with England. and. Uh, in fact, I believe that your son was a British loyalist. Um, they, these had to be kind of awkward times for us. Tell us just a little bit about the, this early part of these decisions. I not only felt we should stay part of England, I felt it was better by far for us to stay part of England. Okay. The British Empire was the greatest empire. The strongest empire had the greatest army. We had the greatest trade throughout the world being part of Britain. 1754, I printed what would have been the first political cartoon, shall we say? Sure. It said, join or die. It had a snake cut into pieces, mm. and it had the initials of the colonies on that. I do believe I've seen that. Now, the snake was something that was very, very much looked as magical. If you cut a snake in many pieces and put them close, they'd become one. Right. My thoughts at that time, we as colonies need to join. I came up with a plan called the Albany Plan. What it said is the colonies would become one and we would begin and start a federal government that could tax and direct. Now that was turned down by the British and the colonies. But it became a forerunner to the Articles of Confederation and the Constitution of the United States. I see. Now, I understand and know of the things that the British were doing. The taxes, the things that they were doing. They were treating us like fourth or fifth cousins, right? not British citizens. citizens. Yeah. Now, I took a trip to England, 1753. My goal, if I had to, I was going to speak with the king, speak to members of parliament, speaking to my friends, helping them to see we are British. Now, my goal was to make America somewhat like Scotland is, separate yet part of the United Kingdom. I see. Now, before I left, you may have heard of a gentleman named Samuel Adams. Yes. <laughs> Sam led a group of ruffians up in Boston called the Sons of Liberty. And before I left, I said, Sam, please think about this. I'm going to talk to bring peace. We could have such opportunity. Don't do anything while I'm gone. <laughs> Yet, the latter part of 1753, he and his boys dressed up like Indians went aboard ships in Boston Harbor and dumped all the tea out. Now, many people call that the Boston Tea Party. Mm -hmm. But when word got to me and the English three to four weeks later, it was not thought of as a party, not at all. Mm. They were angry, they were mad. They, they blamed me for it. 
Really? Now, if we had time, I could tell you more because it probably really was my fault. <laughs> but I even offered to pay for that tea. It would have wiped me out, but they said no. And I'll, I'll tell you a secret that a lot of people don't know. If you brought that tea that was dumped in the harbor that day yes. and brought it here right now, it would be worth just under a million dollars. Really? So it wasn't only the money. It was the point that the Americans had done this. Right. I stayed a little longer, 1774. My wife, Debbie, passed away. Oh. Now understand this, Debbie and I were married 40 years. I was gone serving my nation 25 years. My goodness. She wouldn't travel, she was afraid of the sea. Mm. Now just to add this there, most people of my time didn't travel more than eight miles from their home. Mm. Eight different trips I took abroad. My oldest, I, the oldest I was, was when I was 79. Yes. I stayed until 1775 and realized we had to separate. I came home. Many people were asking me, do you believe we should separate? And I said, please give me time. I need to speak to my son, William. William was the governor of New Jersey, mm. which meant he worked directly for the king. I said, Will, I know there's going to be a war, and it's going to be a long war, but I believe we can win. Now, I know I won't be around when it ends, but son, please come to our side. And he refused. Eventually, he spent two years in a prisoner of warship, and then he did go back to England. And it did cause our relationship to suffer. So you never had any further communication with no, your son? No, we did communicate. I had his grandson, and we, but it was just not like the father and son should be. And yet, all this having been said, you are one of the authors of the Declaration of Independence. So there was some change in your thinking and philosophy that certainly must have taken place. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what led to your signature on the paper? June 1775. We were still trying to do everything we could to avoid war. They were the strongest most well-trained military in the world. 1775 of June, June 5th, we wrote a letter. It's known as the Olive Branch. Oh. We said some of the things that were such lies to the king. Tell him how great we thought he was. Tell him we knew that he wasn't involved or responsible for all these taxes. It was the other guys. We made him sound like the great joy of sunshine. We learned later, he didn't even read it. All he did was call us rebels. Mm. June of 1776, a committee is formed. Responsibility to write what you would call the Declaration of Independence. Mm. That consisted of myself, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, Robert Livingston, and Roger Sherman. Okay. Now something most people don't know, John wanted to be the writer. He wanted it to be his hand. I see. <laughs> He can't write. Oh. His penmanship is terrible. Okay. So fortunately, we were able to convince him, Thomas. Mm. Now, Thomas had beautiful, beautiful penmanship. And he basically wrote the Declaration of Independence in one weekend. Mm. But we made changes and added this and added that. Then on July 2nd, July 2nd, 19, or 1776, a day in my mind that should be celebrated and remembered, for it was that day we mortal men raised our hands 
and said we should declare independence. Yeah. Mortal man with the help of providence above. We knew our lives were as good as taken. Our families. But there had to be a free dome. Now this was an experiment. Nobody had ever done it. Aug or excuse me, July 4th. 1776, John Hancock and the Secretary of the Continental Congress sign the declaration. We get together on August 2nd, more of a sign it. Throughout that year, 56 men sign the Declaration of Independence, telling the world that we, the American colonies, should be free. And one thing to know, we said nothing nice about the king. In fact, in the declaration, we blame the king for everything. The French were absolutely enamored with you. <laughs> you had a relationship with the French that is unlike anyone else, and this played a huge role in ultimately what happened. Would you share with us a thought or two about your involvement with the French? Like I've said, and like everyone should know, the English had the greatest and strongest army. We had farmers, merchants. The only thing we had that they didn't was my good friend George Washington, <laughs> General Washington. However, we knew we needed help. General Washington was chased all over New York, all over New Jersey. Things right. weren't going well. Right. So I set out for France. I took my grandson, Temple, Williamson, he was 16. He was to be my assistant or my secretary. He hated that, not secretary. I also took my daughter's son, Benjamin Franklin, Benny. He went to school in Paris while we were over there. When we landed in, on, in, France, or in, in France on the border, every community, village, city we came across as we traveled to Paris, mm -hmm. every one of them had a banquet. Not just a little meal, but a banquet quit for Benjamin Franklin. My goodness. I sat for more portraits and sculptures than I could imagine. In fact, I wrote a sister to my letter, <laughs> or I wrote a letter to my sister telling her I must be the most popular man. Every home in France must have a picture of me above their fireplace. That's incredible. We were able to discuss the French at first. What did they do? Ammunitions. They wouldn't help us completely till they thought we had a chance to win. Mm. The ammunitions helped. We sent a few of their, a couple of their people over to train and to help us. Now there are many, many, many stories told of me while in France that are just not true. Mm. Ugly things, and I'll tell you where they came from. The English, knowing that the French and I were close, sent spies, sure. several, many, to tell things about me that were false. My grandson, Temple, would tell me, Granddad, they're spies. They're telling you things. Other people would tell me, but I liked these guys. They were my friends. They continued to talk and they continued to say things. Many of the things got back to America and to England. But the French knew that wasn't Benjamin Franklin. And yes, they did help us and yes, we beat the British. <laughs> you know, Dr. Franklin, um, there was a period of time when the, uh, the uh, Constitutional Convention was in disarray, ready to fall apart. 
Um, it's my understanding that you, you literally save that from happening. Can you tell us a little bit about that moment in time? Many people, I believe, think that as soon as we won the war with England, there was peace. Yeah. All was well. Oh my, it was anarchy. Mm. If you're from Massachusetts and I'm from Philadelphia, we dislike one another. Each colony, each state was trying to have their own money. Nothing was being paid. Some of the colonies, excuse me, some of the generals that served under General Washington wrote him a letter and said, General, we need you to step up right now and become our juror or become our president. Mm. President George Washington of America. Mm. Now, George, I imagine, was livid. He had a temper. Oh, yes, he did. He wrote a letter back to them and said, I cannot believe you would even think that. Mm. We just went through a war where many were killed to become a free nation, get out of under a king. He talked to each colony, say, do not wish for that. No. Now there was a man named James Madison, and James has become known as the father of the Constitution. Right. Reason why? He knew we needed to get back together. He got all representatives from the colonies, from the states, he knew they wouldn't come unless one person was there, and that was George Washington. Hmm. Now, as we got together in May of 1787, understand the weather was very hot, and understand we dressed like this. Yes. The windows, was, was the air that we got, were closed and boarded shut. Doors had guards. We wanted no one hearing what we were talking about. Certainly. Now, the fighting began, and it was not pretty. No one could see from the end of their nose. Everyone wanted it their way. Now, I'll tell you this that's completely different than what you've seen right now, but I didn't speak much. I didn't at all. Hmm. I felt I bumbled the words, so I really listened. That's all I did is listen. The only thing I can figure now is I still bumble words, but now I don't care. <laughs> June 28, 1787. The big states, the little states that had it, they were leaving. People were getting up and walking out, and I knew it was my time. So I stood up and I said, gentlemen, gentlemen, why is it that we have not gone to the God of Lights? During our war with England, we met in this room, this very room. I know I am an old man, but if God knows that a sparrow can fall from a tree limb, he knows we are trying to build an empire. And I sat down. Did we start praying? No. Things were different how they handled prayer. But I can tell you this, the hearts and minds were softened. We began to compromise, to give and take. To make the small states happy, we came up with the Senate. No matter how big, no matter how small, you get two. Large states, we have the House of Representatives. According to your population, mm. September 17, 1787, we signed the Constitution of the United States, the greatest document ever written. Now, when the gentlemen were leaving, I said, don't go back and tell your people what it doesn't have. Tell them what it does have. Now, we know it wasn't perfect, 1791, the Bill of Rights was added. Still, it wasn't perfect. We go 
to the Civil War, where for the first time, our black brothers and citizens of this nation were freed. And we know from then things weren't still pretty, and we're still working on it today, to include and to understand that all American citizens are God's children and they are created equal. Very good. There would be those that have said in the past, Dr. Benjamin, that you weren't Christian. Um, and this seems like a very inappropriate question for me to even be asking you, but can you share with us your views of Christianity and of God? I will tell you this, sir. There may have been times in my life that I said things that just simply weren't true. The natural man and I, there were times when we be mates. But I want you to know this. God above and his son were very important to me. I began attending the Presbyterian Church. However, I found all they taught was trying to make better Presbyterians, not better citizens, not better human beings. And they bored me. They bored me to death. Hmm. So I began to make Sunday my day of study. I read books every day, but this was the day which I focused on God. I wrote my own hymnal. I wrote my own prayer book. Every night, every morning, I started with prayer to God above. Now, I also wrote a book of virtues. If you can believe this, and it embarrasses me to, embarrasses me to tell tell you this, there was a time I actually believed I could become perfect. The natural man. I would do things to become perfect, and then I realized finally that when I was working on one thing, I was doing terrible on the others. So I came up with a book of virtues, and that was a book that helped me, helped me with my anger. It was a book I felt other people could use. I wanted to give it to John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. These men were stiff. Hmm. They didn't attract people as friends. Mm. I tell you this. We know the truth was not on the earth at that time. There was no one that could say, Thus saith the Lord. There was no authority. But we knew what we were doing to prepare so one day that could happen. I like hearing that. You and your good friend, President George Washington, were similar in those, those thoughts. Um, you have probably been one of the most quoted individuals in American history. Do you have a, a quote or a thought that you would like to share with our audience today? A typical Benjamin Franklin kind of thing? No, I'll tell you about a couple. Two are probably my most popular okay. that I've actually wanted to change. No. One of them. Early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. I've met many men who have great sleep habits, and they are not wealthy or wise. I see. So we may have to change that one. There's another one. <laughs> a penny saved is a penny earned. Earning money today is not encouraged, nor we're even talking people out of working. Mm. So that one, although it be just as important, I have others. That which starts in anger usually, usually ends up in shame. Mm. A twist of the ankle, you shall recover. 
a twist of the tongue, it may not be so. Oh. Now, I'm going to share with you one that you may never have heard of, and that is don't spend it on the whistle. Explain. When I was a young boy, I was taught by my father, father to save my pence, my pennies. And I would have a goal of something that I was going to purchase. Now, I believe debt was one of the worst evils that man could experience. One of my sayings also was, I'd rather go to bed hungry and miss supper than have debt. But when I was a lad, there was a young man, one of my mates, who had a silver whistle. I thought it was the most beautiful thing. It blew beautiful, it was silver, it was loud. I finally talked my mate into letting me purchase it. I took all the money, that which I was saving for a very good book, and I gave it to him. Soon as it put the whistle in my hands, it wasn't quite as shiny, it didn't blow quite as loud, but what had I done? I'd completely spent my money on that which I truly wanted. So I say, don't spend it on the whistle. Understand. So that. Those are words to live by. I think so. Uh, that's great. Um, let's conclude with, uh, with this question, uh, Dr. Franklin. What would you suggest that we as Americans today ought to be doing to ensure our freedoms and liberty in the future? Because there are those that would say all of this seems to be in jeopardy at this point in time. I would tell you that I believe that is the most, one of the most important questions that every citizen in this nation should be asking themselves. That is, what are you doing to maintain the freedoms and liberty that we have here in the United States? This nation came about with much sacrifice. And that sacrifice was not only expected by those who fought the Revolutionary War. That sacrifice comes upon every individual who lives in this nation. Our Father above did not make this nation free to bring about the restoration of the gospel, to bring about the many things that he did only to have us Let it disappear. Imagine with me, if you will, the freedoms that you and I give up, our grandchildren will never even know they existed. Now I tell you this, so history shows us a society that has freedom and liberty and they lose it, never get it back again. It is our responsibility to maintain, maintain this nation, one nation under God, with freedom and liberty. I get asked all the time, oh, what can I do? I live in this little town. First thing you do, you make sure your home is in order. A better father, a mother, son, daughter. You listen as a family and you work together. Then you go to the neighborhood then the county, then the state. Can you imagine within every state if they simply followed a rule given to us 
when we're told to love one another, respect one another. Washington, D.C., many things that happen there will take care of itself. However, we need to make sure we are voting. We are making sure that those gentlemen and women are doing the job they were elected to do. If not, re-elect someone else. There was a time when visitors from France came to the United States back in the early 1800s to see what the people thought in this nation. They found in the cities, out in the country, every man and woman knew their rights and responsibility as American. They knew it all. I say instead of tearing the Constitution apart, let's reread it to some and most. Let's simply read it. The document will forever stand if we do our part. Dr. Franklin, we want to thank you for taking the time to, uh, to be with us today. Um, those are very, very important words that we should be living by. Our podcasts that center on our founding fathers and what they did to establish a foundation for the restoration of the gospel is very, very important to what Joseph Smith would eventually accomplish. Again, I want to thank Dr. Franklin for being with us. And uh, we'll have one more founding father meet with us in the near future on our podcast. And again, refer to incidents and, uh, and uh, events in their lives that helped establish this opportunity for the restoration of the gospel. Thank you, Dr. Franklin, for being with us today. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Okay, for those of you that would like to contact Benjamin Franklin, do you have questions, concerns? You'd like to see him, talk with him, whatever. That contact can be made through a man by the name of Wade Alexander. Wade lives in Riverton, Utah, and his contact information is Wade, W-A-D-E, Wade, at rootsoffreedom, rootsoffreedom.com. And uh, Wade will be more than happy to put you in contact with uh, Dr. Franklin for whatever the desires you may have. Thank you for joining us again today.